Hi there, everybody. Ed asked me to chime in and let you know about me. My name is Dan, and I am weird. But I don't see weird as a bad thing. Weirdish means people marching to the beat of a different drum, not fitting into that hole that society wants to shove you into. On my show, The Power of Weird, I'm talking to people like me. The weirder, the better. So when you're done listening to this great episode of the Dead America Podcast, come on over to thepowerofweird.com and start the descent into your weirdom. And remember, be the weird you want to see in the world. I'll see you next time on The Power of Weird. Add us. Add us to your favorites. Add us to your favorites. Add us to your favorites. Are we on the air? Yes, you are. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be around this wild, wacky, and sometimes disturbing world of ours. Yes, that's the intro to the Mindset Podcast, a weekly attempt to open eyes and shedding light on what's really going on in the world, all done by ripping apart the media madness that masquerades as news. Join me, Gareth Davis, every Sunday on the Mindset Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Or you can go directly to the main Mindset website. That's www.mindsetcentral.com. Check out the Mindset Podcast. Bring your curiosity, your opinions, and a sense of humor. And remember that some worldviews are stranger than others. Welcome to the Dead America Podcast. It's time to learn something new right now. Let's listen in with your host, Ed Waters, as he learns new things and meets new people. We are lucky to have Sam Ovette with us. Sam is with Mobile Pocket Office. Very unique what Sam and his father has put together for you. Sam, could you jump in, explain to us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, really glad to be here and I appreciate you having me on. As far as what we do, I'll give you the big picture of Mo Pocket Office and then a bit of the backstory of who I am and how I got there. Regarding Mo Pocket Office, what we do at Mo Pocket Office is we help people be human where it counts and otherwise automate. And what that means is we businesses come to us, they're usually at a point where they have developed lots of process, but they haven't put in a lot of automation and they are struggling to scale without adding more people. And so it's at a point where we work with them, consult with them, and map out the entire customer journey of their business, all the way from where they come in through marketing, through the fulfillment, all the way down to referrals. So we look at five different stages of the business, attracting, converting, fulfilling, delighting, and referring. And we look at, okay, what are the processes you have in place? Where could they be improved? And then of that, what can be automated? And then whatever you're left with is that's what we've identified 
as the things where you should be human and maintain a human touch. But you put that into your process and then you deploy that and you work with people on a retained basis to improve those processes over time so that they are selling more, converting more, helping people get more out of their products or services. So that's what Mobile Pocket Office does. The, the name in an ideal world is that basically you set up your business in a way that you can run it with a phone, a hotspot, and a laptop, um, you know, from a, from anywhere you are. And so you can do what you want. So that's Mobile Pocket Office. Let me know if there's, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it kind of is confusing when you look at the name because yeah. you're expecting an app. But yeah. when you dive into it and find out what Sam and his father does, they provide a unique service that you, you cannot explain the value of this. Automation, I could not tell you how much I love automating things. And when you dive into it, you don't know what you're getting into, and it can be a head spin. So what kind of businesses do you like to work with? And how do you help them automate their systems? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think the, the backstory on it all is pretty interesting, so we can get there. But the the businesses that we work with are at a – it's actually surprisingly not industry dependent. We've, we've ended up working with um, a lot of businesses in the digital space where they're providing some aspect of their business is, is serving – uh, some kind of digital product, right? That's really common for us to work with those type of businesses. But we've truly worked with businesses all across the industry spectrums. But the core piece of it is one thing, and, and I can define it pretty narrowly as to who it makes sense for to start diving into automation. And it's the businesses that are right around like this is where it starts. This is kind of the minimum requirements that we see work well with us. About half a million in revenue, stable revenue. You figured out how to do that on an annual basis. That would be that's usually the minimum because what that means at that point is that you have processes that have become repetitive. You have to do things again and again to deliver, and you've identified what those are enough that it makes sense that, to start looking at automating those because you're usually at the point, the people who come to us are usually at a point where they're going, I am good at marketing my business. I know how to get new leads. I know how to make sales. I could improve that, but my primary challenge, in addition to wanting to make my money work better for me and convert more, is that I'm at a point where I have to decide, do I hire somebody for, you know, 50 to $100,000 to do stuff for me, which is a big potential chunk of my revenue? Um, or what of this can I automate so that I can put my human capital resources into very creative people that are going to help drive and grow my business versus just fulfill the processes within my business? Does that make sense? Yeah. A lot of people, when they think of automation, they think bots. You know, totally. 
Bots, machines, they, robots. Yeah, they can they can be very unpersonalized, very annoying. Oh, so, yeah, and I call that, you know, kind of the bad automation. Honestly, a lot of the automation that we see and, and feel, we notice as humans is like the negative aspect of automation. It's a bad experience, and we remember bad experiences much better than positive experiences. Uh, so it's easy to think about that in automation. However, a lot of the automation that we do with folks is is actually it's not all customer-facing, right? It's process-based automation. So some of it's customer-facing, but some of it's driving communication that's very human and personalized, you know, putting a very personal video in front of somebody um, at the right time to help them get more out of using a product or service. That's the kind of automation that we don't even think about, but makes life much better. And also the automation around moving data around from systems to systems, because that's a lot of what we see is people have created something that creates, takes a lot of manual work to move this digital information from one system to another to make your business operate. Whether that's in the marketing conversion part of your business where you're getting leads in one system and then trying to move them into another and then market out of another. And then when they buy something, you're moving that data whatever your order system is, to your fulfillment system. When you start to tie that all together, you free up an amazing amount of time for a business that they can then invest that time and energy in improving their products and services, marketing them more, hiring people who can develop more products and services. And that's, that's like the beauty of automation and process combined. And it really is that automation and process combined. The, the negative part of automation is that stuff we've all experienced where we're like on the endless phone tree. We're, we want to get through to a human and all we're getting is a bot and, and we can't get through and it's frustrating. That's the stuff that we also want to avoid. And that's why we have this strategic approach of you want to be human where it counts and otherwise automate. Because if you can put that human touch in and create incredible customer experiences, that's going to drive organic referrals and people are going to be raving fans about whatever it is you're doing. But if you are creating an environment that frustrates your, your customers and your clients, obviously that's not very sustainable for you over the long term. Yeah. So what made you realize the human touch was vital part of this automation process? Yeah, so I, I I think it's interesting to back up and go into my background a little bit because I think it's a bit relevant to this whole automation discussion. Prior to doing this um, and running this with my dad, in the outdoor industry, I graduated college with a degree in environmental science, but what I wanted to do was be a whitewater kayaker. And so that meant, you know, going on expeditions and running waterfalls and also, for me, it, it, the aspect of it was guiding people. So I was making my living at the time, guiding people down rivers in, you know, fairly high-risk situations compared to um, non, you know, life-threatening things you could do. And then I was also an athlete for uh, being sponsored by different brands. And I was out there 
creating media. And that is about the time there, there was a specific point where I decided, I love this. I want to continue to do this stuff as, as a lifestyle, but not as my source of income. And it was, I was traveling down to Ecuador and I was, this is like the, the catalyzing moment. It wasn't abrupt, but it was catalyzing. I was in the airport headed to Ecuador with my kayak to go do a government sponsor, like the Ecuadorian government had sponsored an expedition to help promote one of their towns. It was a good tourist, you know, adventure tourism destination. And I was in the airport sitting there with my kayak, which is pretty noticeable and, and people are pretty aware of, you know, asking questions and going, what do you, what do you have that for? And I was chatting with this group of students and their professor. They were headed down to study the agriculture in Ecuador. And he said, oh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm going down to Ecuador. I'm a whitewater kayaker, you know? And he says, oh, well, how do you make a living? Can't eat your kayak. And, uh, and that particular comment kind of set off my thought process about, well, what am I doing? You know, and this was a, it's not to say that you can't earn a living as a professional athlete, but the reality is in the, in that world, it's um, largely, you got to do something pretty unique to break through and make a decent amount of money on it. And so that was the point that I decided, okay, I don't want to use my physical body to make money, right? I'm going to use my brain. And I sort of started to head that direction with some of my involvement in the brand, but largely I was using my physical body to, to make money, you know, guiding and paddling. And it was really cool. It was really fun. And I was pretty young. And I said, but that was at the point when I decided, you know, I, I, I want to do something. So I started recognizing that as an athlete, I was really part of the marketing budget, right? Outside of the guiding work that I did. And that is the shift that started me looking down the path of what was in the world of marketing. And then I realized I was using all these automation tools to manage social media that I was doing because I would need to put up posts as part of the sponsorship. And I, I really started to dive into that uh, because you have to automate that if you're out paddling on the rivers, you know, a service, you know, you need your, your posts to be going up while you're out on whatever you're doing. And that's when I realized there's this whole world of automation. And I was intrigued with the marketing automation. That really got me really interested. And then I was fortunate that my dad had spent years doing business analytics and running his own company in that way. And he was working with large manufacturers doing their some of their business analytics. And he was ready for a change. He got did well and was kind of bored of working with these boring companies and said, well, if we can work with companies in the automation space on the front end, more on their marketing, their conversion, and then there's a natural play into fulfillment and everything else they do process-wise, why don't we explore that? So together we founded Mobile Pocket Office and went into that space and started creating partnerships with software companies uh, that, that that's how we generate a lot of that's and it is today how we generate a lot of our, our business as well and interest in our in our services. So that's the shift. That's the background. There's also a lot of 
risk management that we apply from my time spent assessing life and death situations and making decisions in really high consequence situations to making high consequence decisions in businesses and how we employ things for businesses and communicate with them. That's the background now, not to lose my train of thought, but to think about what you were getting at was, you know, talking back about automation, how people can use it and, and where it applies. Any questions about that? Because it's kind of like opens up a whole different thought process. Well, do you use existing tools or do you make these tools of automation yourself? Do you code them out for each client or do you use specific tools that are already on the market for people to automate with? Yeah, I, that's a good question. So what we do, but what we also recommend is, you know, we live in an age where we're we're rich in tools. We're abundant in digital tools that you can use to automate things. So we really advise people against using or building their own tools or investing in building their own tools. Once in a while, we'll do that where it's necessary. But largely the value is in freeing up someone's time, right, and giving them the time back. So we start with looking at the math aspect of what do you want to automate and then from there what stays human i think that's where we really left off and I'll, I'll pick back up on that and then we go out there and say what tools exist to accomplish the outcome that we want and we try and use as few as possible to make the outcome happen and everybody always wants to ask about what specific tools we use and i can name a few but the idea here is you've got to think about it like you're building a house you're laying out your architectural blueprint. That's your map of the customer journey, what you want people to experience, what you want to lay out in your business that's automated so that you freed up your time and create a better experience for customers. And then when you take that, you have to then ask yourself, what tools do I need to build the house that makes this happen? And then you go out and you use whatever tool makes the most sense for the scenario. Now, the reason I say that is because, like I said, people get really excited about tools, but it's really not about the tools. They're necessary, but just like building a house, you could have three different types of drills, but they all do the function of drilling the screw in and attaching the frame together. And that's the goal, right? You want to get to your outcome, because if you could do this without tools, you would. They just happen to be a, a necessary component of it. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. What you really need to do is focus on mapping out a process and finding your underlying process that needs the automation in place. And then you actually would go find the tools if the tools are available for that specific process. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's a really simple thing that anybody listening can do to get the process started. And it's as simple as a, a printed out piece of paper, like the, the spreadsheet style. Take that piece of paper, you print it out. If it's just you or if you have a team of people that you work with in, in your, your company, what you do is you spend three days and every 15 minutes you write down 
what you've done. It's tedious, but if you understand, we call this a personal activity log. And it's funny because we're in the business of digital, you know, using digital tools to automate business process. Um, but at the end of the day, we use this very manual analog approach to get people to figure out what they do and where to start automation. Because that's the question is, well, what do I automate first? Right? How do I think about this stuff? And so the very first thing you do is you have everybody on the team write down what you do over a three-day period. Usually that's enough to figure it out and have a very good starting point. Because then you know what are the things that consume your time. And now you're looking at it from a picture of what are those activities. And it's not to beat up on people and say, what do they do with their time? It's to literally say, when I'm doing stuff, when my time is actively being used on the business, what is it that I'm doing to run the business? I call it the busy work of business to make it happen. And once you understand that and you're really clear on that, now you understand two things. What are your processes? Because you just wrote them all down. Even if you didn't think you had processes, you probably do. And then how long does it take you? What are they driving at towards accomplishing? So you understand which pieces of it are repeatedly taking up your time. And then also which ones are really high value. And then which ones, too, are very unique. They're not, they're, they happen occasionally, maybe. Those are the ones that should be human, right? Don't automate the thing that happens occasionally. Automate the things that happen repetitively. And then also automate the things that provide your customers a better experience. And then from there, you take those personal activity logs. And what you do with them is then you start looking at the, the five pillars of your business. Every business has them. Some are, you know, most businesses have strength in certain pillars. Uh, but what you do is you look at the attract, right? What do you do to attract? Do you have processes to attract business? Usually that's very creative work. And it's a lot of testing. That's the marketing that people do, right? And that's usually... The very creative aspect of what actually happens there is usually very human-driven, and there's not a lot of automation around that, but there's automation immediately after that, as soon as it's published or shared with the world in terms of tracking it and following up with those, hopefully, leads you're generating from it. Then you have convert, and so everything after a track is convert all the way up to the, the sale that you make. And so you look at what do you do in that section of your business? What are the processes involved in conversion? Then fulfillment. Once somebody becomes a lead and then a sale, once they buy, you've made a promise to them. That's why they bought. What do you do to consistently deliver on that promise? And how do you actually fulfill your products, services, whatever it may be that you're selling or combination of? And that usually, if people get good at attracting and converting, that's going to be their problem point right out of the gate. Fulfillment, right? They're going to need, they're, we're going to alleviate the manual time spent fulfilling, and then we can go back to attract, convert, and help improve those and make those better. And that's where most businesses tend to stop. They, they, even good ones, they stop. The great ones don't, but the good ones stop around fulfillment. They don't put a lot of thought in the next two, which is delight and refer. So if you sell anything, you have an opportunity 
to delight your customers after they've made a purchase. They're also more likely to give you repeat business, so you can delight them with more ways to be involved with you that make sense for them based on what they bought and what you know about them. And then you can also just create a better experience at that stage, and then that's going to lead to more referrals. And that's the freest source of marketing once you've gotten your flywheel of business going is referrals. So if you have a systematic process to make sure that you're asking everyone for referrals, and you have to think about that, and that's unique to each business, but, you know, and it's not as always as simple as just send me a referral. You have to be strategic and think about why, how do you help people refer you business. And those two, Delight and Refer, have the biggest potential to increase the value of a customer to you, meaning they're generating more revenue and bringing you new business. So we look at those five areas, attract, convert, fulfill, delight, refer, based on that personal activity log that you filled out and your team has filled out, because different people work on different parts of the process. And that's the opportunities for automation. And anywhere that we think a human touch should be inserted or maintained we make sure that that stays part of the process. And then the key is that you're applying tracking to this so that people in your organization responsible for executive decisions can say, are our changes working, right? And in an even step above that, we're doing a level of A-B testing on all the process so that we have 75, roughly, percent of the business going through the flow that works for you. And then we take 25% of the business and we take a risk on it and we try new process. And if it, if we can improve our effectiveness, let's say we're trying to convert 75% of those or 25% of the, uh, let's say we, we've gotten leads, right? And we have a thousand leads a, a week, for example. And we want to take 750 and put them through our tried and true process, the one we know that works, right? Because that's safe. It keeps your business running, keeps revenue flowing. Let's take the other 25%, the 250, and put it through a new process, something we're trying new. And let's try and make its percentage rates beat what's going on in the normal 75%. And at the point that we have that consistently beating 750, that's going to become our new process. Then we're going to try something new and different for that 25% of the flow. And you can do that in each aspect of your business so that you can continually be improving your business on top of automating it. That that makes sense? Because that's a big important yeah. thing because we don't always get things right the first time out of the gate. You know, you put new automation in it, and I see this all the time. People get super excited about automation, but they have a super manual business with super high touch, lots of human touches. And while that's time-consuming, for the business, it also provides a lot of value to the customer. So you, you have to be careful and you have to be strategic about, and this is where we take that approach to risk and protecting your downsides and not getting in over your head. You know, you don't want to drown your business accidentally. It would be, and it's a really important thing because the, the desire and excitement around the time that automation can save and the potential increase in business that can come from it is really exciting. But you want to roll it out in a way that, number one, reduces the big strains on your time. That's priority number one. And then priority number two is improving the business 
And so you want to test that in uh, batch, uh, not even 50-50, but like 25% of the flow of people through your business. If it's more effective than your manual process, then we automate that or similarly effective, then we automate that. And then that becomes your 75%. And then you work on that 25% to continue improving each of those different aspects of the process. You you can really make multiple funnels and funnel those in different directions depending on what you want your process to be or the outcome. That's right. And that actually is a good sales technique, those sales funnels. But automating those processes, it, it can be very difficult. And how you implement this mapping out process, I think that's a key to every business. Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. That's the 7P principle that I was taught many years ago. And I love just the fact you got to plan. And the more planning you do, you can actually minimize your risk with all of this planning. What do you see in the future for automation? How how do you see it growing or helping the industry as a whole in the future? You know, I think the number one I see thing I see is that the ability, the technological ability to automate some stuff is getting easier and easier. Which means, and that's happened over the last 10 years. I mean, it's just become the things that you, if you were to look at this space 10 years ago, there was a lot less that was accessible to a large range of business sizes. It was very custom. It was very much enterprise businesses that could take advantage of and maybe large mid-sized businesses um, but the medium smaller mid-sized businesses and small businesses didn't have access to this technology it was too expensive for the revenue that that those businesses fall into doesn't mean someone could invest into it but it's just the reality was it was less accessible and so the ability to automate a process within a business is becoming much easier over time and i think it's not incredibly, it's not, some of it's getting really easy, but it's not as easy yet as it could be. And I, I hope to see it get easier because honestly, the real value, I don't even think is in the technology because there is enough technology out there today that the majority of people can get their hands on it if they're doing any, if they have any kind of real business. Um, and you can start using it. The value is in, the thinking through how you're going to apply it and how you're going to take a continuous improvement approach to it too, because great, you've automated it. That's really wonderful and important, but how are you going to then improve your business in addition to that? Now that you've got this time that you've saved for yourself, how are you going to improve your business? And that's one of the pieces that automation can help you do because you can automate the tracking and understanding of the effectiveness in a dynamic way. And then you need to think strategically about what's my next step. If I had to have this information and this data 
and this ability to automate the process, whether it be internal or customer facing, what am I going to do next to improve my business? And I think that's the thing I really like people to think about is what am I going to do next to improve my business? Because that's where you have to take it. And that's how you go from saving time but doing the same thing to growing a business. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure does. So there's a couple more things before yeah. I let you go, Sam. Uh, first, I'd like you to explain to the audience. I was listening to you and your dad on a video. Explain to us what cowboy <laughs> cowboy mode is. I know which video you're talking about. So cowboy mode is, and you probably heard Josh say it, my dad, is that the mode that the majority of business owners are in most of the time. They're just going, they're running and gunning and trying to build things and do things at the same time and put it in place. And it's just wild. I got to get it done now. Got to make it happen. And you know what? The only time you should be doing that is if there's an opportunity to make money. Go for it. You know, stress yourself out, stay up late, do whatever it takes to make it happen. But outside of that, to be predictable and to create stable business practices, you need to slow down a little bit and, and look at your business from a big picture and take strategic approaches to implementing this stuff. It's a concept we call the opposite of cowboy mode is practicing the practice that is done in restaurants called mise en place, which is simply preparing all the ingredients before you start cooking. And so cowboy mode is when you're cooking and chopping and prepping all at the same time. And usually you burn something, you know, or you forget about something or you make a mistake in your cooking or you forget an ingredient and it doesn't taste as good. It's not as uh, delicious as it could be. And so I'm combining two concepts here, but as a business owner, if you want to put automation in place or some process in place that doesn't require your involvement, you put out to the world to generate more revenue in some way. Oftentimes it's presented in somebody's giving you an opportunity and you want to give them a landing page so somebody can learn about your product and then you want to follow up with them and, and do all this wonderful communication post. Put all the ingredients together. Prep the ingredients, the communication, the emails, the texts, anything that's going to go out as part of this together first, then start actually building within the tool to make it happen. And that's really the experience we bring people through. It's the experience of prepping, thinking strategically. What is this going to look like? How is it going to end up? What are all the ingredients we need to pull off this technological experience that is ultimately going to convert more people to become customers. So you want to stay out of cowboy mode as much as you can because it's stressful, but you you know, I give people license to go into it if there's an opportunity to generate more revenue. I think that's valuable intellectual thought right there, and everybody should take that in. Cowboy mode. Be it when you have to be. So what's it like working with your father getting all of this done? You know, I think that's the most 
unique, wonderful, and also challenging aspect of this. Um, when you work with someone, I mean, everybody has different relationships. We have a great, very close father-son relationship outside of our business, but initially working together was really challenging. For for If I think about it, it's pinpointed to like one specific thing that was challenging. For me to tell him that his ideas, I didn't like them, or I thought there was a problem with them, or I thought there was a better way to do it, that's probably the hardest aspect of the relationship. It's not as hard for him to tell me, um, because that's kind of the natural relationship with, you know, a, a parent and a child, is that, you know, the parent tells the child stuff a lot of the time. So that's pretty easy. But also the child can get offended, right? And so at the, at the end of the day, if you think about it in that context, you you know, it's really easy to create a dynamic where it feels like everybody's getting personally attacked and nobody's respecting anybody or, you know, dad's just telling son, here's how it should be done and, I, and I'm supposed to accept it, that kind of dynamic. And we obviously want to avoid that, right? Because, you know, I'm an adult, he's an adult and uh, we need to work together and we also need to be able to pay, tear apart each other's ideas in a way that's constructive so that we get to better outcomes for ourselves and for our clients, right? And so that is the single biggest challenge, being able to have clear communication that's direct, that happens quickly so that we can vet ideas, whether they're ideas for ourselves or ideas for something we're doing for a client. And we at first struggled with it. You know, we get upset at each other. We get frustrated. We get kind of angry. And we realized that that wasn't sustainable. But I mean, very quickly, right? That's like, it's not going to work. We're going to fail. We're going to make bad decisions. People aren't going to be open. Communication is going to suffer. So we decided, okay, we have to have something that we do here. It's, it says, hey, look, I love you. None of this is personal, quote unquote, it's all business, but it's to get to the root of the idea. Let's have a actual debate in the truest sense of debating an idea to get to the best components of it and work through the problems that ideas have, which just naturally that's, you know, you come up with an initial idea and it's not perfect. So you have to work through it. You have to work through the rough draft of the idea to get to the final draft of it. And with that in mind, we started saying, okay, we're going to do a catalyst session because we realized we were getting heated. We had differences of opinions. We weren't on the same page. We needed to get on the same page. So we used what we call a catalyst session. And what that meant is we could go at it. We could tear ideas apart. You know, if you're looking from the outside, it looked like potentially like we're just viciously arguing. But the reality is we knew that none of this was personal. It was all about getting to a better outcome that we're both excited about or really understanding the other person's point of view and incorporate that into the outcome. Um, and so using that, we're able to rapidly catalyze an idea that either I have or he has or two differing ideas and get to the outcome that is going to be best for ourselves or the client based on what we're trying to achieve. And that's challenging, you know. That takes work and, and also it takes um, – practice and understanding and it's it doesn't mean we're perfect like occasionally we'll we'll get a bit upset at each other and but at the end of the day the knowing that 
we're here for each other and we're all on the same team um, and we're a family in addition and making that part more important than the business is what makes it work. And so at the end of the day, you know, we, we'd rather step away for whatever reason we can't work together, which we can, we work together great now, but if we can't, you know, our priority and kind of agreement is that our relationship as a father and son is more important than any of this business stuff. I think that's so cool. And I, I congratulate you. And it is not hard to get along. <laughs> you know, it's easier to get mad at people and throw it out the door. So to get together with your father and work it out and make something happen for the family, I think that's one of the most wonderful things a person can do on this whole planet. Yeah, so, I think it's unique too in our situation is that we are partners in this. So we make decisions from an equal standpoint versus me, you know, the common scenario is a father, like a son works for their yeah, father. Exactly. Um, and so being partners in this is, uh, is unique. You know, you know, it, it is out there, but it's more unique than not. And so there's <laughs> the templates for working in this are, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of books on on it, so to speak, and like <laughs> frameworks that I've found. See, you know, you have to really develop it for yourself and understand what works. But I think just if you come at it with an approach of our relationships the most important, but also we can't bullshit each other. You know what I mean? Like we can't just we can't yeah. let we can't let the desire to not tell someone that we don't think their idea is good stop us from doing that because that's how you drive innovation and solutions you know you have to get through the you have to push through the the junk and you got to get it out of there that's right that's pretty awesome so how do people get a hold of you sam and how can they get your services sure i appreciate you asking that um mobilepocketoffice.com uh you can put a link to it if you have show notes that you do yes um, and on the website we have a book a call option and that initial call is just to see if you truly are in a position where you need automation and oftentimes we'll have a call with people and say you know i don't think you're ready for this here's some basic things you can do on your own right because there are little things you can do, but the way that people engage our services is, is that they do a mapping session first. We understand a landscape, the architectural landscape of what you're trying to solve. We usually approach your most time-consuming processes first and then work the other, the rest of the picture around it. And then we engage in a project to solve that problem. And we actually have a team of people that we, that basically what happens is when you, engage in a project, then we are assigning folks on our technical team to actually build out whatever automation is required in your systems or get you the systems you need. And then we, I, I personally am the one responsible for implementation, and I make sure that all the work is QA'd. I, I, I actually review it with you. You're always talking to Josh or I. Josh mostly runs the, the you know, he heads up kind of the sales aspect primarily. Um, and then I head up the implementation aspect and 
you'll see I'm usually on calls as well, but most of a lot of the calls are with Josh right out of the gate. If it's someone who's totally new, I will always jump on so they can meet me and see if uh, if we think it's a fit, and then we get you get it implemented, and then uh, for the clients where it makes sense, we establish a retainer of, uh, to keep improving those processes and have an ongoing strategic discussions about what could you do to improve it, and we can either do those implementations or. If uh, if someone's got a team or they're willing to do it themselves, we like to see that ownership taken of the systems and people go out and, and try things, you know. So that's how you engage our services. That sounds awesome. Sam, I want to say thank you very much for bringing your story and your services onto the podcast. It was a pure delight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here and hopefully – you know, there's some stuff people can take away from this. They can realize how to think about automating their businesses. And, um, you know, to me, if you can, the automation is the vehicle to growing your business, but also to getting time back in your life, which is the one resource that is limited. You can't get more of it. That's wise. Thank you for listening into the podcast episode today. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Also, please follow us on any of your podcast players. Or if you'd like to get a little more personal with us and really identify what we truly are about and get involved with what we are doing, make sure you go over to the Google Play Store and download our new app. We can't wait to get involved with you. And that's going to finish up this episode of the Dead America podcast. Make sure you come back next week and follow along for another great interview. I'm Ed Waters, out.